Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Tonight, if you'd like to take notes, the title of my message, and I won't need to be long and it's pretty practical, but the title of my message tonight is The Dangers of Perfection. This is actually a development of, of some thoughts that I shared with our staff over a year ago, and I, I developed it. I shared it in a little different context, but a thought that God gave me over a year ago in a ministry-wide staff meeting. But the dangers of perfection. We all want the perfect life, don't we? Sure we do. The perfect career, the perfect house, the perfect job, the perfect wardrobe, the perfect vacation. How many of you could use that right about now? The, the perfect vacation. I was thinking through it. I don't think we've been gone on a Sunday morning the entire year. Generally, I try to take at least two Sundays a year with my family, and normally I'm gone another one or two Sundays either on a missions trip or preaching in another church. And, uh, and, and it's just been a, a, a different year. And we've gotten a few days off here or there. We took our daughter to college. We've done some things with our family, but it's been a different year. And I don't think, I don't think our family has been gone, but uh, for a Sunday morning, I don't think we will be gone on a Sunday morning for the entire year. And, uh, but, but that perfect vacation, we scroll through Instagram or Twitter or Facebook longing to have someone else's life. Often we try to craft the perfect image on social media, don't we? It's one reason social media is a little dangerous. Because social media is, is everyone's highlight reel. Most of us don't jump on social media and say, just had the most knockdown, drag out fight with my wife. It was amazing. What do we do? Just went, I'm talking to you, Stephen Carroll, just went on this amazing vacation. They made, if you follow them on Facebook, trying to make all of us jealous last week while they celebrated their 20th anniversary. And I'm very happy for you. Can you tell? And uh, they were in some tropical paradise there. But I haven't seen Carol sharing the last time she, she and Steve got in a knockdown drag out fight, but she was very quick to show us the beautiful vacation they went on. And I do the same thing. We all share our highlight reels, don't we? And here's the danger of social media. You compare your blooper-filled reality to everybody else's highlight reel. And you start to think, man, I, I wish I had not married this person. I wish I could have been in that family. Or why, why are their children so perfect? Look at what our family's going through. Or why, why, man, you see what my wife made for dinner tonight? I got this casserole and that guy's eating that, that bacon wrap filet mignon. And if we're not careful... We look and we wish we had something, we had the perfect marriage, the perfect family, the perfect home, the perfect whatever. It's one reason that we love Disney. If you love Disney, if you don't love Disney, it's not. But we, my, our family, we've always loved Disney. In fact, we went to Disney World on our honeymoon. We got married and we used to bring our family. We actually went to Disneyland with our kids more when we didn't live in Orange County than when we did. We used to come down to Disney probably almost once a year. Uh, we, we've gone to taking our family several times to Disney World. Why, why do we love Disney? And there might be multiple reasons, but one of the reasons is it's the idea of the fairy tale. 
And we have, we have several cast members. They don't even call them employees. They're cast members that try to provide a magical experience. What are they trying to do when you go to Disney? They're trying to craft a perfect experience for you. And we all have this dream, this ideal of the perfect story. And they lived what? Happily ever after. And if we're not careful, we, we live our whole lives thinking, and we'll compare our lives to our expectation of perfection. We have a newlywed couple, Dalen and Catalina. How long have you guys been married? A month? A month or so. And maybe three, four weeks. And the idea, you get married, it's going to be smooth sailing. Everything is perfect. And sometimes we get disillusioned or discouraged because reality hits you hard. All of a sudden, real life happens. We were talking last Wednesday night, and it's like, man, we get home from work, and it's just eating, kind of tired, and just kind of, and, and, and there's, marriage is great if God blesses you with marriage. It's, it can be wonderful, and God wants it to be, but the reality is there's no such thing with two sinners of the perfect marriage. And if your children are sinners, which mine are, there's no such thing as the perfect family. They take after their dad. That's what they take after. I was going to make a joke there, but the reality is there that, and it's, it's been said, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I'll be honest, that scared me to death when my wife and I found out we were going to have our first child because I said, Lord, help that apple to fall closer to their mother's tree than their father's tree because I caused all kinds of problems for my mom and for every one of my teachers and all of those things. But if we're not careful, we, 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 we compare our lives to our expectation of perfection and we're let down every time. We compare our reality to other people's highlight reels. And you know what happens? When that happens, we become discontented. We become covetous. How many of you have ever bought something because you saw it advertised on, on social media or on Facebook? Be honest. How many of you have ever? I, I have. I bought something. And what happens? We see, oh, I've got to have that. In fact, I recently bought something that I saw advertised on there. If I hadn't jumped on social media, I never would have bought that. But what happened? I saw that, oh, I need that. And, and so, but we become discontented. We become covetous. We become unsettled. We become jealous. We become insecure. We become frustrated. We become discouraged. Sometimes I'll go to a pastor's meeting or a pastor's retreat or a pastor's conference and try to learn and grow and, and I'll see some friends that I'm friends with on social media and they'll say, man, it looks like things are amazing at your church. Man, it looks like things are going great at Liberty. I've been following you. I, I just saw that. And the reality is I think things are amazing at Liberty and things are going great, but the reality is there's no such thing as the perfect church. And you know what I often tell them? I say, well, we only share the good stuff on social media. It is going great, but our church has struggles just like every church. But you know what can happen even as a pastor? You can look at another church's or another pastor's social media feed and think, man, that guy's got it all together and everything's going, he never has a bad day. And, and if we're not careful, there is a danger in seeking perfection. Perfection, and this is all introduction, we'll jump into the passage and I'll give you a few thoughts. Perfection is a dangerous goal because it's unattainable for all of us. It sounds so noble, doesn't it? I just want to, I want to be better. I want to do better. I, but when perfection is the goal, perfectionism can lead to so many things. I just gave you that list. Discontentment, co covetousness, un, being jealous, jealousy, insecurity, frustration, discouragement. If you're a perfectionist, you know perfectionism can lead to procrastination. You'll constantly be tinkering, thinking, planning, twe tweaking, and never completing or executing. It's been said, done is better than perfect. Perfectionism sounds noble, but the reality is it's exhausting. 
It's an exhausting way to live, and it's antithetical to the gospel. You see, because when we think we have to craft our perfect life, what we're saying is, in my strength, we're saying I'm enough, and, we're, and that is something that will always lead us to frustration. That perfectionism is antithetical to the gospel because it puts the focus on our efforts, on our goodness, and things that we will never attain. Look at Christ's words, Matthew 19, verse number 16. I want you to see it. Matthew 19, verse number 16. I'm going to give you this passage, Jesus speaking to the rich young ruler, and then I'm just going to give you a few practical thoughts in your life, and we'll wrap it up. Matthew 19, verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He came to Jesus and said, What do I need to fix in my life to make me worthy to live forever in heaven? What good deed should I do? What, what, what area can I make more perfect in my life to earn my way into heaven? Tell me, is it, it, what, what money do I need to give? What, what charity do I need to join? Where do I need to, where do I sign up? He's saying, I'm going to make myself better. Verse 17, Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Do you see Jesus' initial response? Why are you trying to become, now this doesn't mean Jesus doesn't want us to grow in grace and, and become more like Christ. That's another bit. But he said, why, why are you calling me good? There's only one that is good enough. By the way, Christ was good enough, but he's, he's speaking to him because he's talking to him as a man here. Why, why do you call me that? There's only one. What is he showing him? You're never going to be enough. It's never going to be perfect enough. Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is who, church? That is who? God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. You know what Jesus said? Okay, you want to go to heaven? You've got to be a perfectionist. Keep the commandments. Notice what he says, verse 18. He, the rich young ruler, that, by the way, this was a rich young ruler. That means he had been very successful, very early, very respectable, very, very, this guy was, was somebody that you looked at and said, that dude has got it all together. His Instagram feed, he would have had a lot of followers. This was a guy that had it together. And he, he was rich, he was a ruler. He saith unto him, which, which commandments? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Okay, that's not too bad. I haven't done that one. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He throws in, uh, love thy neighbor as thyself there. Notice what it, he, not all ten, but he gives a lot from the ten. Notice, he gives them the old, some of the Old Testament law there. Notice verse 20. The young man saith unto him, what did he say? All these things have I kept from my youth up. I look pretty good. I've done all this since I was a kid. Are you kidding me? That's it? My, my, my parents taught me that uh, when I was three years old. I, I've been, I haven't killed any, I haven't done any of that stuff. Now, I don't believe he hadn't done any of it, but that was his take on it. He, he had a pretty high view of himself. Notice what he said in verse 20. Uh, he said, what lack I yet? That's it? What else you got? Notice verse 21. Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be what? Perfect. Go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. You know what Jesus said? What Jesus did? Now look, look at the last verse we'll look at, verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away what? Sorrowful. Why? 
for he had great possessions. You know what Jesus said? He said, how do I get to heaven? Tell me, what do I need to do? What's, what, which law? Jesus said, well, keep all the laws. Keep all the commandments. Which ones? List them. Done it. Since I was a kid, that's, that's easy. That's, that's kindergarten stuff. What else? What, what do I lack? What else? You know what Jesus did? He showed him, you're never going to be enough. He said, go and sell everything you have. Here's the interesting thing. What, what's the first commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, right? What's the second commandment? Thou shalt love thy as... He even said it up here, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And this guy said, I've already done all that. And what did Jesus tell him? Jesus, brilliant answer. He points out to him, this man claimed to have kept the whole law. Jesus exposed that he loved his stuff more than he loved God and his neighbor. The first and second commandment. He exposed with this. He said, okay, no problem. Just go sell everything you have. Come follow me. Love, and he said, give it to the poor. Go ahead. Use your life. Love your neighbor as yourself. And give your life following me. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Just do those two things. This guy that said, I've done it all since I was a kid. I've got it all together. And Jesus says to him, he shows him with his one command, you, 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 have, you love your stuff more than you love God and other people. What is Jesus showing him? The gospel is, you will never be enough. He, he said, I've done everything I can to be perfect. And Jesus said, you've got a long ways to go. I'm just going to give you a few of the dangers of perfectionism. Because if you're like me, I, I think it is a, God, and we'll get to this in a minute, it's a good and godly thing to want to grow more in grace and, and more in the knowledge of Christ, to walk in His steps, to want to draw closer to Him. I think that's a good thing. I'm not preaching that you and I should just sit back as ungodly, lazy, lustful slobs with, with, with all of that. That's not what I'm saying. I think God wants to work in and through us. That's all through Scripture. But the idea of, in my own strength, I'm going to craft this perfect life. I'm going to be the perfect husband. I'm going to be the perfect wife. I'm going to be the perfect friend. I'm going to be the perfect teacher. I'm going to be the perfect student. And it's in my own strength. It takes our eyes off of what Christ does in through us, and it puts our eyes on our own strength. And I want to give you just a few practical thoughts. Four areas that expecting perfection has dangerous effects on our lives. Number one, expecting perfection in yourself is dangerous. Why? Because it leads to discouragement and condemnation. You will never be enough. You will, it doesn't matter what car you buy, it will never be enough. What house you live in, it will never be enough. If your eyes are on, I've got to have more. It doesn't matter your career, how far you advance, it will never be enough unless you keep your eyes on Christ and say, this is all for you. Expecting perfection in yourself will lead to discouragement and condemnation. Why? Because your righteousness will never be enough. His is always enough. If you measure your life by your own righteousness, it always leads to one of only two possible outcomes. If you are focused on, look at what I've done, look at who I am. None of us say this publicly, but if that's in our heart, look at, look at how, how good my family looks, look at how good my career looks, look at how good my portfolio looks, look at how successful I am, look at me, look at this. Whatever it is, whatever that idol in our heart is, and we take pride in what we have built ourselves as a pastor. By the way, I'm supposed to be a spiritual leader. Pastors can get lifted up in pride. Look at what I have built. I haven't built anything. This is God's work that God has hopefully worked through me and through 
through you and through hundreds of godly Christian servants here. This is not my work, but all of us, when we get to that place where we are judging our lives by our works, there are only one of two possible outcomes that happen. Number one is pride. You get lifted up in pride because you start, when, when you're judging your life by your own works, what you're doing is, the only way to do it is to compare it to somebody else's works. And the Bible says comparing yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. And, and so if, you, if, you, if you're judging your life by your own works, by what you've done, by what you've accomplished, by what you've earned, by what you've built, if that's how you're judging your life, and it's that perfectionism, and I'm constantly, it's about me, it can only lead to one of two things. Number one is pride. Because it's, look at how much, and what you'll do is you'll find people that you can put down. Look at how much better I am at Steve at that. Man, Steve struggles in that and I don't struggle there. And look at how much better my kid does in that than that person's kid. And Look at how, look at how, how, much, how much more horsepower my car has or whatever it is. We do all, and we get lifted up in pride. Boy, I go to church, I go to church five times a week. That family only goes to church two or three times a week. It, does, it can happen religiously, it can happen materially, it can happen in all of these things, externally, internally. But the other side of it is when you judge yourself by your own works, you can get lifted up in pride, but you know what else can happen is? You can get defeated in condemnation. Because you compare yourself to enough people, you're going to figure out there's always somebody doing something better than you are. They've achieved more in that area. They, they, they've, they've done more. They've memorized more scripture. They've earned more money. They've been to more countries. They've, they've read more books. They've earned more degrees on their wall. You can go in any arena. There's always somebody that's done more. And guess what? You start judging by your own works and you start looking around. And you're like, man, I'm, I'm 30 and that's all I've accomplished. I'm 40 and that's where my life is. I'm 50 and, and I'm still struggling with that. I'm seven and all of a sudden that comparison monster comparison is the thief of joy you've heard that before what it does is it either lifts us up in pride because we find someone we're better than or it brings us down in defeat and condemnation because there's always somebody out there that we look at that we say I can't measure up no the goal is not you the goal is his perfection and let Christ work through you by the way Christ wants us to live in contentment number two Number two, number one, danger of, of expecting perfection in yourself, you'll always end up discouraged and condemned because you'll never be enough. Christ is enough. Number two, there is a danger in expecting perfection in those you serve or those you minister to. The people that you lead in your life, why is that? Because it will lead you to become harsh and overbearing. Expecting perfection in yourself will lead to you becoming discouraged and condemned. Expecting perfection in those that you lead or those that you serve will, will lead to you becoming harsh and overbearing. If you are an employer that has employees, if you are a teacher that has children, if you are a, a, a parent that has kids, if, if you are a whatever it might be, some area that you have people that you serve and you're a choir leader and you direct a choir, it doesn't, you can go in any area of life. If there are people that, that you serve with and that you have some level of in, uh, influence or oversight over, if you expect perfection, by the way, what is the opposite of expecting perfection? It's giving grace. 
Again, the gospel in us doesn't expect perfection in others. The gospel in us causes us to give grace to those that we serve. Uh, The gospel in us allows us to give grace to ourselves. As Paul said, man, I struggle. My flesh wants to do this. My spirit wants to do that. I struggle. I struggle. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Well, that's a rhetorical question. I've got to get back to Christ because in my flesh, I'm never enough. And by the way, your kids will, don't be, and I've been there, don't be that parent that expects perfection. You'll become that harsh and overbearing parent by nature. And those that would know us closely would be able to figure this out, but by nature, I can be a very focused, some people say at times intimidating, I try not to be, intense, uh, type A kind of leader. And, and I, if I get focused, my wife, can, she'll tell me when we're in a busy season or an intense season of ministry, she'll tell me, uh, you know, I can tell when you get, you've got that focus and you get, and, and I can become harsh with my family. I can become harsh with our staff. I can become overbearing and snapping. Why didn't you do that? Why is your shoe untied? Why did you? And by, I try not to do that much, but in my, my own nature and my personality, my wife would tend not to be that nearly at all. She is much more gracious and, and kind and sweet and grace giving. But I have found in my own life, I need, I've, I need so much grace from God. I need to give grace to those that I serve. I need to give grace to those that I lead. And expecting perfection in your family, expecting perfection in your mates, expecting perfection in your relationships, your friendships, expecting perfection in those that you minister to will lead you to being harsh and overbearing. So expecting perfection in those that you lead, what about expecting perfection in those that surround you? What do I mean by that? Maybe a a fellow minister, a co-worker, maybe a spouse, maybe a friend, a relationship, not necessarily somebody you lead, that will lead you to become harsh and overbearing. But if you expect perfection in those that surround you, you know what that will lead to? It will lead to discontentment. Let me explain. I'm gonna give you a secret. I've actually already explained it tonight. I'm a flawed leader. I have flaws. Mr. Cypri and our principal back there, he leads our school and our staff. I'm gonna give you a little secret. Some of you have your kids in our school. Others of you, you serve with Mr. Cypri and his staff here. A little secret. Mr. Cyprian is a flawed leader, even more than me. See, there's that comparison game again. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, I see over here Mrs. Yanez, who played the piano. She's a flawed kindergarten teacher. And we could go around everybody's roles, and, and our youth pastor is a flawed youth pastor, and And those that serve as deacons are flawed deacons. And those that teach the Bible in connection groups are flawed teachers. I see Joe here and Diana there and Rodney's back there. And they'll tell you they are flawed teachers. Now, again, I'm not excusing laziness or dishonesty. I'm not excusing, well, we have flaws. That's just who I am. Just put up with it. But if you want to find something wrong with me, if you want to find something wrong with the leadership of this church, if you want to find something wrong with your coworkers, if you want to find something wrong with your best friend, if you want to find something wrong with your spouse, with your mate, if you want to find something wrong, guess what? You will be able to do that. And you know what that will do if you expect perfection? It will lead to discontentment. In your marriage, if you're expecting perfection, it's going to lead to discontentment. 
at a church, if you're expecting perfection from fellow co-laborers, from a pastor, from a, 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 a fellow Sunday school teacher, from somebody, and somebody does you wrong and you expected perfection, guess what's going to happen very quickly? I wonder if I'm in the wrong church because somebody let me down. If, if you have, how many kids do you have? 13, 14 in that kindergarten class, Janine? 15 kids in that kindergarten class. If those 15 kids and their parents expect perfection from Janine, guess what? It's not going to be hard over the course of an entire school year to find a flaw somewhere that she makes a mistake. And guess what can happen very quickly? Uh, something that Kevin does, a policy or something from the school, you can find, if you're expecting perfection, you can find a flaw and you become discontent. I got to get my kids out of that school. I got to get myself out of this marriage. I got to get, uh, a kid might say, out of this college. I got to get myself out of that job. There are flaws in anywhere that you go, and if you're expecting perfection in those that surround you, it will lead you to discontentment. Number four, and we'll finish it up. If you're expecting perfection where God has you or with what he has given you, you'll become bitter and disillusioned. If you're expecting perfection with where God has you and with what God has given you, you will become bitter and disillusioned. The Bible says in Proverbs, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. What does that mean? Unmet expectations create great defeat and discouragement. Disillusionment. Hope deferred, meaning I expected this and I didn't get it. If I, ex with, I expected by this age of my life, this is what we sometimes call a midlife crisis, right? Somebody gets to a certain age or stage of their life and life didn't turn out the way they expected. And have you ever met somebody maybe in their 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s that's bitter at the events of life? I've heard it said, as you get older, you get bitter or you get better. Generally, what you are in your younger years gets intensified in your older years. If you are a sweet, kind, gracious person in your 20s and 30s, you're going to be even sweeter. You're going to have bowls of candy all over your house, and you're going to be the nicest grandma or grandpa to everybody that comes in. And if you are a jerk in your 20s or 30s, you're going to be, get off my lawn. That's who you're going to be in your 70s or 80s. But here's, here, how does that happen? You see, life happens, and if we had certain expectations, well, God owed me that, well, my spouse owed me that, I thought it would turn out that way, I thought my kids would do that for me, I thought this would work out, and I didn't expect that news, and I didn't expect to walk through that trial, and I didn't expect that heartache, and I expected all of these things, and God, you did me wrong, and people, you did me wrong. I was expecting perfection from, with where God had me, and with what God had given me. God you never let me get that big break at work and I never kind of achieved that material success that I expected and my retirement never got to the level it did and if we expect these things and they don't happen it leads us to bitterness and disillusion I thought by this age I would have this when you're in junior high this is natural in all of us when you're in junior high what do you want to be in high school right I don't want to be the little junior higher that gets picked on I want to be the high schooler hopefully not doing this, but that picks on them. When you're in high school, I've got a son. Pray for him. Tomorrow, supposed to be getting his driver's license. You can't wait to do what? And actually, pray for me. Don't pray for him. Pray for me. Pray for that instructor that he fails him. No, don't say, don't do that. Don't do that. Crazy story. He was supposed to get it last Tuesday. Our, uh, you guys know our swagger wagon, the 2006 green Toyota Sienna. We, uh, we've driven that thing for 16 years. 
He got to the DMV, Santa Ana DMV, last Tuesday for his test, pulled up, instructor got in, did the whole pre-check, told him to turn off the car, they checked everything, said turn the car back on. We've started that car thousands of times. Though one time it wouldn't start, the starter went out at the DMV with the instructor in the car, poor kid. And so he had to postpone it till tomorrow. But when you're in high school, what? You can't wait to get your driver's license. I can't wait to drive. Guess what happens? You get older and your kids get their driver's license. You go, I don't want to drive. Drive. Take, go, go run the errand. I don't need to go. When you're, when, you can't wait when you're in high school to graduate. Have some freedom. When you get to college, I can't wait to be done with school and go get a job. You get a job. You can't wait to get a vacation or retire and not have to work the job. You're single. You can't wait to get married sometimes. You're married. The Bible says, don't seek to be loose. I can't, why, I can't wait to get. The reason we have the title of the term, I don't use this, but you would understand. The old ball and chain. I don't use that about my spouse. But the reason that's a phrase in our society is there are people that view marriage as bondage. What are they saying? Whatever I have, I want something different. You're married sometimes. Well, I can't wait if we can have kids. And you have kids. I can't wait till these kids are out of the house. And isn't it interesting? All through life, we're, we're trying to be something else, do something else, want something else. And what, what ends up happening? We get to retirement with no kids and no work. And what do we do? We spend those years trying to figure out how to keep ourselves busy with work and spend time with kids and grandkids. Right? Grandparents want grandkids, right? That's, they've said grandchildren are God's gift for enduring your kids or something like that, I think. I've heard it said, why do grandkids, why do ch children and their grandparents get along so well? They have a common en enemy. And uh, I mean, the parents there. But here's the reality. It doesn't matter where you are in life. If your focus is on, I've got to be that, I've got to have more, I've got to do more, this is what the perfect life looks like, you're never going to be content. There's a, a song that uh, we heard years ago, and, and it, it's, uh, some of you may have heard, I think it's a country song, it's, and the chorus is, you're going to miss this. And it's become kind of one of our family's favorites, a family song that we sing. And I'll tell my wife, because it's all about how crazy this season of life is with kids, and, 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 and all these stages of life and he sings and, and about you're going to miss this season and our kids when they're going crazy in the house and my wife's at her wits end I'll look to her and I'll say you're going to miss this and she'll say absolutely not and uh, but here's the reality by nature all of us are looking for something else I need to be more do more have more and, and married people can be discontented singles can be discontented people with kids can be discontented people without kids can be discontented young can be discontented old can be it's not dependent upon our position in life it's dependent upon the condition of our hearts let me say that again our contentment is not dependent upon our position in life it's dependent upon the condition of our hearts what did Paul say I have learned in whatsoever state I am he said it doesn't matter the position of my life I have learned in whatsoever state I am there with to be content he said I've learned how to be a base meaning ha have really bad circumstances I've learned how to abound the seasons when God pours out great blessings what is he saying I don't have the picture of what God owes me what the perfect life looks like what the perfect social media feed looks like I don't have that God's in control the perfect life is knowing Christ is Savior and resting in his goodness and understanding and embracing his gospel in my life 
rejoice in where God has you now. If you're not content where you are right now, you won't be content in the next step. By the way, there's a difference between contentment and complacency. Complacency is being satisfied with who you are uh, and, oh, in, in, in Christ, what you've done for God, no desire to grow. That's complacency. Contentment is being satisfied with where God has you and what he's given you, who God is in your life. Don't be content with who you are for God. Let him grow you, but be content with who God is in your life. Complacency is bad. Contentment is good. Again, this does not mean that we excuse every failure and fault and shortcoming in our lives. doesn't mean we never discipline our children. Well, I'm just going to give you grace. Pastor said I shouldn't expect perfect kids, so just be hellions. And No, God's Word teaches to train up a child in the way they should go. God's Word teaches to have some structure. But it doesn't mean we don't care about excellence in our lives. Yes, we give Him our best. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Yes, grow in grace. Yes, press toward the mark. But learn to be content. Learn to extend grace. Love believeth all things, beareth all things, endureth all things. And here's what I want to challenge you with. Stop ex expecting perfection in yourself. Stop expecting perfection in those you serve. Stop ex expecting perfection with those that surround you. And stop expecting perfection with the place God has you in this season in life. What did he say? My grace is sufficient for thee. What? For my, gr my strength is made perfect perfection. My strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. We want God's strength. We want to show everybody God's strength in our lives through our strength. Look at how good I am. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at, look at, look at this impressive thing about me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. By the way, grace is right there. My strength is made perfect in your in your life and in mine. Perfection isn't the goal. Christ is the goal. When you expect perfection from yourself, you're always going to be discouraged and condemned because you'll never be enough. When you expect perfection in those that you serve, you're going to become harsh and overbearing. When you expect perfection with those around you, you're going to become discontent with them. And when you expect perfection in God, with what he gives you and where he puts you, you're going to become bitter and disillusioned. What's the answer? What's the antithesis of perfection? Grace. It's instead of, I'm not expecting perfection. I, I know that I'd, I'm not perfect. I need his grace. So I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to extend it to my kids. And, and I'm, I'm going to extend it to my family. And I'm going to extend it to my coworkers. And I'm going to extend it to those around me. And, and, and a church member is going to extend grace to the pastor. Maybe I misunderstood what he meant by that. And he's going to extend grace to those around them that hurt them. He's going, to, he's going to have contentment. God, you know what's best. You have me here right now. In your life and in mine, I've gone a little bit long. I apologize. I normally try to be done right at 8, and I'm a little past. But I wanted to just share a few thoughts on the danger of perfection. Is that you? You struggling with perfection? Be careful. Let's extend grace and be content with who God is and what he's done in our lives. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.